I believe God's given me a, a message for today uh, that I, I had a different message that I was gonna preach, and somewhere around Tuesday, Wednesday, I felt like God led me into this book, the book of Daniel. And I'm gonna preach today from the book of Daniel. Now here's, I'm, I, I'm a little bit nervous because I got three chapters that I'm gonna cover in 29 minutes and 20 seconds, okay? So I got three chapters that I'm gonna cover, and I'm calling this message, No Other God. Okay, last week, the message title was No Other Gods. Today, the message title is No Other God. And I wanna start by explaining something. The, um, the Jewish people, going back, this is, I'm not talking about recent events, okay? When I talk about Israel and the Jewish people at this point, I'm not trying to make any connections to recent events, okay? But the Jewish people, uh, the Bible tells us, were these people that were chosen by God, and he made a covenant with them, and he said, I will be your God, and you will be my people. And he gives them an arrangement, he gives them an agreement, he says, I'm going to be your God, but here's what I want you to do in return, here's how I want you to honor me, here's how I want you to serve me. And the epitome of what God wants from the Israelites comes in Deuteronomy chapter six called the Shema, the Shema prayer, which means hear. And it's hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Different translations say different things, right? But you're to love him with all that you are. You're to love God. You're to love him with your hands. You're to love him with your mouth. You're to love him with your thoughts. You're to love him with your heart. You're to love him with your time. You're to love him with your energy. You're to love him with your passion. You're to love him with your everything about you is to love the Lord your God. And later on in this Shema prayer, he says, take heed because when you receive the promised land which I am giving to you, I don't want you to forget me. When I give you the land, I don't want you to forget me. It's almost like a lover saying to another, hey, when I get the house and I provide all the stuff and I do all the, don't forget me. Don't just be in love with what I'm doing for you. But remember me in the process. And he says, take heed lest you forget and if you forget, it's not gonna go well for you. Because the promise is not about the land itself. The promise is not about the good things I'm gonna do for you. The promise is not, it's about a relationship between me and you. I am your God and you are my people. And so how often in our lives are we close to God until the breakthrough comes? We're close to God until he fulfills his promise. We're close to God until we get that promotion or we get the, you know, our marriages back together or whatever it is. We're close to God when we're broken. We're close to God when we're looking. We're close to God when we're searching. But as soon as we get it, we forget God. And then when we forget God, what happens? Things start to go bad for us. And in scripture, what we see is that the Israelites over and over and over again are brought into this relationship with God, they're given the land, they're given the blessing, they're given the stuff, then they forget God, and then they get put in captivity. Somebody comes and conquers them. Somebody comes and takes them. 
And this, before you think that this is just about the Israelites, if you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, we begin with Adam and Eve in relationship with God, walking with God, dwelling with God, in relationship with God. And then they sin, and what happens? They are exiled from the garden. Exile is a part of this pattern in our life when we say, God, I'm here, I'm with you, and then we forget God, we put ourselves in exile. And so what happens over and over and over again to the, to the Israelites in Scripture is that they remember God, it goes well for them, they forget God, it goes bad for them. Whether it's they're in captivity in Egypt, whether it's they're in captivity to the Assyrians, we learned a couple weeks ago that they get, held, they, they get captured by the Assyrians, the Bible tells us, because the Israelites began to worship other gods. And because they worshiped other gods, God handed them over to the Israelites. Not, I believe sometimes when we read that, we think that God's just like so mean. He's like, okay, fine, I'm gonna hand you over. What we forget is that the Israelites made a choice to worship the gods of the Assyrians. So then the Assyrians came and took over. You're hearing what I'm saying? They made a choice to worship. Now, in our life, when we make a choice to worship someone other than the one true God, God in his free will you know, attitude towards us says, okay, if that's gonna be your God, let it take over. Let that be your God. And so over and over in scripture, they remember God, things go well, they forget God, things go badly. Now in the book of Daniel, and the book of Daniel begins with captivity to Babylon. The southern kingdom of Judah is now coming into captivity under Babylon. Babylon, in Jewish thought, represents the biggest, baddest, most perverse like, culture and reigning kingdom that you can think of. It is like the opposite of God's kingdom. It's the opposite of God's people. It's the opposite of a land where God's blessing and favor is. Babylon is the opposite of these things. And so they come into captivity, in Daniel chapter one, they come into captivity, and the Bible tells us that this captivity, Jeremiah prophesies that it's gonna be a 70-year captivity, and the reason it's 70 years is because the Israelites get the land from God, and God tells them every seven years, I want you to have a Sabbath year where I want you to let your fields rest. Why? I want you to remember me. Remember that I am your provider. Remember that the land is not your provider, but I am your provider. And so every seven years, they're to let their fields rest. Now imagine for a second you being in business and God telling you every seven years, I want you to shut the place down. But that was what he said. He said, I, I want you to trust me every seven years. I want you to let the fields rest. And the Israelites failed to do this. And so Jeremiah prophesies that you will be in captivity for 70 years, and that those 70 years are gonna be allowing the land the Sabbath that the Israelites neglected to give the land. So this is directly connected with the Israelites put all their hope and trust in that land, and God says, hey, I am your source. I am your, I, I am your, your, you know, your provider. And so now they're in captivity for 70 years. They're in captivity, but, but there is hope. There is hope. In Daniel chapter one, we begin with this. 
It says, in the third year of the reign of uh, Je Jehoiakim. I don't know how to say that. I am American. Okay. King of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, I got that one right, okay? Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem to besiege it. And the Lord gave that guy of Judah into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, some of the items, some of the people, some of the, some of the goods, the gold, the silver, with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar to the house of his God and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Go to the next one. Then the king, uh, the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, if you don't know what a eunuch means, clip, clip, cutting. Okay. <laughs> um to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding and learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. What is happening here? Israel has been taken captive, and the king has taken the, God's stuff. He's taken the gold, the silver, the, he's taken the things from the house of God, and he's put them in the house of his gods. And now he's taking the people from the house of God, and he's bringing them into the house of his gods. And he's saying, bring me some of the best-looking, smartest, brightest young people from the Israelites. We're going to bring them here, and we're going to teach them. Okay? Here's where we get into three. There are three tests in the book of Daniel. The first one is the test of eating, I'm going to call it. I'm going to call it the test of eating. And Daniel is going to pass this test by saying, we will not eat. Let's watch this. Okay, this is like a good Netflix show, okay? The king assigned to them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. Now, I don't know about you, but if we got taken captive by a foreign country and you got hand-selected to go live in the king's house and the king is now putting his food in front of you, I would think you would feel pretty lucky you would be like, wow, okay, this isn't so bad. I'm getting food every day without having to do anything. I'm not even having to work anymore. I'm not even having to, he's providing food. But it's the king's food. And this is the problem. Daniel follows the Torah. And the Torah has rules about what we can and cannot eat. And the king's food is stuff we can't eat. And so the king is putting this food in front of me and Daniel's like, I can't eat that. Why? Because it would be a disgrace to my God. So he's getting provided food. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Bel Bel Belteshazzar. Um, Hananiah, he also called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach and Azariah, he called Abednego, Abednego, okay? So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, okay? These guys. Now let's go to this next section here. But Daniel refused, he resolved 
that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. He would not defile himself. He would not defile himself. I serve the God who tells me I'm supposed to eat this way. I can't eat your food. Thank you for putting this food in front of me. Thank you for sparing my life. Thank you for wanting to educate me in your land and in your custom, but I can't eat this. It would be a disgrace to my God. I will not defile myself in that way. So many of us want a God who cares about our, our bills getting paid, but we don't want a God who cares about us obeying him with our body. We want a God who cares when it comes to him providing for us, but we don't, we don't serve a God who cares what you eat or what you do in your bedroom or, you know, who, you, this, God doesn't care about any of that. See what I'm saying? We want God to be so faithful to us. But Daniel is saying, no, I have to be faithful also to him. I, 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 can't, eat, I can't eat this. Now, we're not talking about, you know, some... Uh, I'm a millennial, so I'll just say millennials, okay? We're not talking about some millennial who's like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm vegan. <laughs> it's just like a personal choice, you know? <laughs> I don't like animals being killed. It's just like a personal choice of mine. I'm vegan, and so I can't eat that. We're not talking about Daniel respecting his dietary preferences, we're talking about Daniel honoring his God's dietary preference. So he goes, I can't eat that. So he goes to the eunuch and he says, sorry, I cannot eat this. And so the eunuch is like, dude, you want me killed. You want, you want my head. I already got something else cut off. Now you want my head cut off. And he says, you want me killed because, listen, I'm supposed to present you after three years to the king. And if you look skinnier, and if you look weak, and if you look unhealthy, my head is going to be cut off. And so Daniel says, go to the next section. Uh, Daniel says this. He says, okay, let's try this. Test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Why vegetables and water? This is not the Daniel fast that you do, where you're like... <laughs> The Daniel fast that you do are like, I eat vegetables and I drink water because I'm trying to lose weight because I ate too much at Christmas. And you do it for 21 days. Where the heck did you get that? It's 10 days, my dude. 10 days. <laughs> 10 days, vegetables and water. Why are we doing vegetables and water for 10 days? Because that was the only thing on the menu that he could eat. It wasn't like he was like, I just, I really prefer vegetables. It was like, this is all that is kosher. So give me the vegetables and give me the water. So he gets water and vegetables. And then the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food, let that be observed by you and deal with your servants accordingly as you see. So he listened to them in this matter and he tested them for 10 days. And at the end of these days, uh, he was gonna see who's better in appearance. And what he saw was, that they were fatter in the flesh than the youths who ate the king's food. 
The result of the Daniel fast was that they were fatter. You are doing the Daniel fast all wrong. 21 days, I'm just going to eat vegetables and drink water, and I'm going to lose some weight. It's 10 days, and you're going to get fat, okay? It's 10 days, and you're going to get fat. So at the end, they get plump. They get thick. They get fat. Eating vegetables and drinking water. So let's go to the next section. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill and literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of time, three years later, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Among all of them, none was found like the four guys who said, sorry, I'm going to honor God with what I eat. None was found like these guys. So they come before the king, and he tests them. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better. Ten days of testing, three years of honoring God with what they ate. Nebuchadnezzar found them ten times better. What do we do when we're in a land that doesn't honor God the way we honor God? Refuse the menu. Refuse the menu. I'll learn your language. I'll I'll speak in your language. You can give me whatever name you want to give me, but I'm not eating that. I'm not going to be fed the stuff that would defile and dishonor my God. The test of eating. We can't just want God to care about our needs. We should also care about his heart and his desire. Okay? All right. I'm going to jump to Daniel chapter 6. This is what I call the test of prayer. Now, I'm going to tell this story because it's way too long of a passage for me to read. But here's what happens in this story. Daniel is elevated so high in the kingdom that the king says, I am going to put this guy in charge of the entire kingdom, second only to me, and he's going to run the whole place. And the 120 leaders who were about to be put under Daniel get really upset. And they go to King Darius and they say, Darius, listen. Uh, they, 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 They conspire and they try to find something wrong with Daniel, but they can't find anything wrong with him except for, here, we'll put the passage up and I'll just read the underlined section. We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in the connection with the law of his God. In other words, Daniel has developed now a reputation that he is blameless, that he is faithful, that he's a good man. If we want to take him down, the only way we can do it is pit our gods against his God. That's the only way we can do it. Because he will pick his God. I remember years ago, my, my friend Greg and I, Greg is uh, our worship leader. My friend Greg and I auditioned to be in a play at school. And we auditioned to be in this play, and it was like Susical the Musical, whatever. It's so dumb. Okay, but I was in it. It was cool. I liked it. But now I'm like acting all cool. Like, it was so dumb. No, it was awesome. Okay. <laughs> so, me and, so me and Greg audition, and we both get parts. And then the teacher tells us, the date of the play. 
And she tells us the date of the play, and we find out that week that it's the same date that our church is doing its first ever youth conference. And so we go to the teacher and we say, hey, I'm so sorry, we can't be in the play. And we're both lead parts in this thing. Hey, sorry, we can't be in this. We gotta go to our youth conference. And she tried to do like, you've already auditioned. You've already done this. This is the date, and I can't move it. Our friends went to the teacher and said, listen, if you want those two guys, you better move the play. Because they will not pick this play over that conference. That's what they, that's what they said. So the teacher moved the date of the play. For, for me and Greg. We found out later that the reason that the date couldn't be moved is because she had a concert she wanted to go to and she skipped her concert so that we could do the play and we could do the, the other thing. It's a little bit different though when your head is on the line. It's a little bit different when it's not just a play but your head is on the line and here's Daniel, his head is on the line and they say we're gonna try to get him using the law of God. Go to the next section here. He says this, uh, they go to the king and they say, whoever makes a petition to any God or man for 30 days, except for you, O king, shall he be cast in the, into the den of the lions. So they go to Darius and they say, hey, I have an idea, just for 30 days, only for 30 days. If anybody makes a prayer or petition to any God or anybody other than you, throw him into the lion's den. And the king says, okay, yeah, that's an interesting idea. Let's do that. And he signs the paper. So now we go to the next section. And it says, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, just in case there was any lack of clarity, when he knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber toward Jerusalem. And he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. When Daniel knew, it's just 30 days, Daniel. It's just 30 days. Just be quiet for 30 days. Just shut your mouth for 30 days. You can pray inside as long as you don't pray outside. Just be quiet for 30 days. The Bible says when Daniel knew, he's, he's not like, oh yeah, I'll just be quiet for 30 days. I can't. Stop praying. I can't. There's no scenario where you can get me to just be like not praying to God for 30 days. So when he knew that this happened, he goes and he gets down on his knees and he prays as he had always done. In other words, listen, I will respect you and all of your edicts and all of your things until it comes to me worshiping God. And when it comes to that point, that's where I'm like, no. I'm gonna continue doing what I've always done. I'm gonna get down on my knees and I'm gonna pray. The rest of the story goes on. The king, uh, the, the king's command, the king commanded and, and Daniel was brought and cast in the, into the den of lions. They go to the king, they tell on him, tattletales, right? They go and they tell on him and the king is now so distraught, he actually doesn't wanna throw Daniel into the lion's den. The Bible says he's up all night trying to find a way out of it. But he's like, man, I've got to now because I signed the paper. And so what does he do? He commands him to be brought into the den of lions. He declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. Now some people read this 
like it's sarcastic. I don't actually believe it was sarcastic. I believe that the king had his arms tied, he was tricked by his leaders into issuing this edict, and once he had issued it, he's like, man, I don't know how to get out of this one. So he throws Daniel into the lion's den, and he says to him, may your God, whom you serve continually, may he deliver you. I I actually believe that Darius was actually hoping and praying that somehow he would be delivered. And so he goes through this whole thing, he seals he seals it with his signet ring, like, this is what's going to happen. Go to the next, se- next section. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions, and he came near the den where Daniel was, and he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut up the lion's mouth. And they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. The next section here, by the way, the next section, the king takes all of those leaders and he throws them in the lion's den. (laughs) And the Bible says before they even fell into the den, their bones were chomped up and broken by the lions. Those lions were hungry. Their mouth had been shut all night. (laughs) And the very thing that was meant to kill and devour Daniel just made the lions more hungry to kill and devour those who were trying to kill and devour Daniel. Here's this last verse, this last section I want to talk to you about today. That was, the first one is the test of eating. This one is the test of praying without ceasing. And here's the third test, the test of our worship. It was from, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, from Daniel chapter 3. When Nebuchadnezzar, listen to this, Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. Uh-oh, we don't do that. We don't do that. In Israel, we have 10 commandments. And the second one is that you will not make any carved, graven, gold image, any any image to any other God. Uh Uh-oh. We have now a government. We now have a leadership. We now have a king who is saying, "I'm, I'm doing the very thing that you as Jews, you as Israelites are not supposed to do. So he makes this gold whose height was 60 cubits and the breadth uh, was six cubits. There's argument about how tall this is. Some people believe a cubit was 18 inches. So it would have been, if my math is right, it's like 90 feet. Is that right? I don't know. You guys are quiet, so you suck at math too. Okay. (laughs) It's like 90 feet, 60 to 90 feet, something like that. Okay. This this, This is like a 90 foot tower golden image this golden statue, this golden image, and he sets it up in the province of Babylon. Now, the next section here, I'm not gonna read all this. We'll put it up on the screen just so you can believe me, okay? But the next section here is he brings all the government and all the officials, all the leaders in. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are three of those leaders because they've been elevated. So they're among the leadership. And he brings all the leadership together, and he says, You are commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, 
whatever that instrument is, the harp, the bagpipe, every kind of music, uh, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall, read the next section, immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. When you hear the sound, get down and worship. Worship this thing. When you, when you do that, you're gonna hear this. So, so all of them, they hear the sound and they get down and they bow and they worship this thing that's been set up. But here in the next section, we're gonna find, go to the next verse here. At the, t- at the time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, everyone who hears this stuff, they're supposed to bow down and they're supposed to worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Next section. The Nebuchadnezzar, in, he, he's in a furious rage, and he commands Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be brought. So they brought the men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not, save, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the harp, the bagpipe, every other kind of music, fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Nebuchadnezzar is directly setting himself up against the God of Israel. What God is going to save you from my hand. You're gonna be thrown into the fiery furnace. You're gonna burn. We're gonna kill you. If you don't worship this thing, why does he want them to worship the thing so bad? Why is this so important to him? There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a thing here where like, he's, he, he can't even stand to see the Jews worshiping their God. But out of power and control, he must now set up this thing so that they worship the God he wants them to worship. So he sets this up, and he's like, if you don't worship this, you're going to be burned. And no God will be able to deliver you. Now, I don't know about you, but like, We've talked the last couple of weeks about, you know, there's so many people who are like, oh, I'm so glad I live in, in you know, uh, freedom, freedom to worship however you want to America. We don't serve other gods, you know. We, people who, even, you know, people who are atheists are like, I don't believe in a God. Yeah, you do. Yes, you do. It's your money. It's your job. It's pleasure. Yeah, you do. You have a hierarchy and something sits at the top. In your life, you have a hierarchy and something is in the highest place. No, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in any of that stuff. Okay, something in your life is in the highest place. Something in your life is in the highest place. Well, we live in America where none of that happens and there's all kinds of things that would like to exalt themselves above the knowledge of God. There's all kinds of things that would love to sit on the high places 
of our hearts. There's all kinds of things that would love for this to be the controlling dominant narrative of my life, or this to be the controlling view of my life, or this to be, there's all kinds of other gods. And for us to pass the test, we have to say, I'm not bowing to any of those. I'm not bowing to any of those. So the next passage here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered to the king and said this. I love this. If you don't get anything else out of this, get these next couple passages. O King Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, I love this. I grew up in a, in a movement uh, that really put a lot of value on faith, and I appreciate that. I really appreciate that. Sometimes it went too far, and it was like, if you're sick, it's because you don't have enough faith. If God doesn't deliver you, it's because you don't have enough faith. You know, name it, claim it. That was a negative confession. You come into your parents' bedroom in the morning, and you have a fever, but don't you dare say sick. <laughs> Mom, my body is feeling very warm, but I'm not sick, I know, in Jesus' name. Went too far. But what I love is the value of faith. And I love that these guys put both things together. They have faith. God's going to deliver us. But then they say, even if he doesn't, our faith is not in the outcome of what's about to happen. Our faith is in God. So he says, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you set up. That's really funny, actually. It's really funny, because what they're saying, if you really think about it, is they're saying, throw us in the furnace and God will deliver us, but if he doesn't, we're not gonna bow and worship. We'll be dead. <laughs> There's no scenario, Nebuchadnezzar, where our knees are going to bow to any God but our God. We will either be alive bowing to our God or we will be dead and not bowing to your God. There is no scenario where we bow to your gods. So listen to this. Oh, this is so good. Band, you guys can come out, okay? Then Nebuchadnezzar, it's gonna feel better with the band. Trust me. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it usually was heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, in their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. And because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The people who were throwing these guys into the fire caught fire. The guys who were throwing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace caught on fire and died. That's how hot this fire was. Just proximity to the fire they caught on fire and they died because the king's order was so urgent they catch on fire they and and these three men Shadrach Meshach and Abednego 
fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered him and said to the king, true king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar is like, no God can save you out of the power of my hands. You will worship the God that I have made. Sorry, I can't. I can't. I'd love to. I'd love to, I'd love, I'd love to do whatever you want me to. I'm a very compliant person. But when it comes to bowing my knee to that golden statue, I'm sorry, I can't do it. Can't do it. I'll learn your language. You can change my name. You can bring me into your house. You can deprive me of my land. That's fine. I just can't bow. I just can't eat. I just can't stop praying. Because I know who my source is. I just can't do any of the... I will be compliant in all the ways, except for that one. You shall have no other gods before you. Can't do it. So he says, there's not three men in the fire. There's four men in the fire. There's these four guys. And they're all unbound. They're all unhurt. And the fourth one looks like the son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar and his little view of what gods were and the God, he looks down and he's saying, this looks like the son of God is in the fire with them. So listen to this, next section here. Nebuchadnezzar came near the, to the door of the burning fiery furnace uh, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God. Do you hear that? There's a little little tone change there, Nebuchadnezzar. (laughs) Talking a little different, my bud. Servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over their bodies. And the hair of their head was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. They didn't even smell like fire. How many, you cannot even, you cannot make a s'more without smelling like you've been camping for 32 years. You go walk out by a campfire for one second and you come in and it's in your clothes for like three wash cycles. These guys didn't even smell like fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command, Ben, you can come out, and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Listen to this. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, or Abednego 
shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. I want to land this plane with this thought here today. The people of God have a command. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. They have commandments from God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shouldn't set up these golden idols. You should not worship other gods. They have these commands from God. And when four guys who are captured in captivity continue to obey and serve God, continue to say, I will have no other God but my God. I will have no other God but my God. The rulers of the land, out of their own mouth, start to declare that their God is the most high God that there is no other God like their God. Out of their own mouth. And here's what I believe. I believe that we've kind of land this series that we've been in for four weeks now, right? I, can, I, I believe that God is saying, I want the idols torn down. I want the obedience with your body. What do I mean by that? Do, can, can you eat bacon? Yes, eat bacon, okay? Why do we know that? Because scripture tells us we can eat bacon. Praise the Lord. But scripture has all other kinds of stuff. It tells us about honoring God with our bodies, about how we honor him with our time, with our energy, with, with, with our bodies. Honor God with your body. Don't be sexually immoral. Don't be an idolater. Don't be, don't be greedy. Don't be, how do we honor God? If we can pass these three tests of saying, God, I'm not going to give, I'm not going to eat the food of any other God. I'm not gonna stop praying to you. And I'm not gonna bow my knee to any other God. I believe if we can do that, I believe the name of Jesus will be lifted up that even the naysayers around us start to say, hey, your God, he's the most high God. Your God, there's no other God who's able to deliver like your God. Let me pray. God, most high God, we love you, we serve you, we honor you. We trust you. We put our faith in you. We want to obey you with our bodies. We want to obey you with our minds. We want to obey you with our heart. We want to love you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We often hear this adage in, in, in church, this isn't a religion, it's a relationship with God. God, we pray that this relationship though would be a fully devoted relationship. It would be a fully devoted relationship where we honor you in everything that we do, everything that we say, in our time, and our energy. And God, we pray that the name of Jesus would be loud and clear, the God that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty and tearing down strongholds. 
We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities. We wrestle against these idols. We wrestle against these things that have been set up. So God, tear them down in our hearts. Tear them down in our lives. God, help us to join with all of heaven that worships you. All of heaven is bringing you honor and praise. Help us to join in that song. Our God who is able will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're not gonna bow. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Come on, everybody said... Amen.